Hi everyone, and welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. You know, for the next several weeks, I am going to be having as a guest a creator who has their work published through Insane Comics. That's an up-and-coming small indie publisher that publishes works by creators and owned by the creators. Today, my guest is Luke Cooper. Now, Luke is the creator, the writer, and the artist on Hollow Girl. Originally from the UK, he currently resides in Slovakia. Hollow Girl is not Luke's first work, but right now it is his flagship title and it is on issue number five, and there's a trade already out with the first four issues. Now there have been a slew of positive reviews about this book, and basically Hollow Girl is about a killer with no soul, no conscience, a girl who killed her parents for apparently no reason, but maybe there was in fact a reason. She is a vigilante along the vein of the Punisher, yet there is a horror element to this book and she hides her identity behind a mask. So if you like vigilante anti-heroes, this is a book for you. And as always, there's plenty of chit-chat about other things, particularly about the state of the comic book industry, upcoming films this summer, uh, the upcoming Netflix series, The Punisher, and other interests that Luke has, and things about comic book and comic book creation and the creators. So uh, good interview, good chat, and it's always fun to have a discussion with someone in another part of the world with a different perspective. And so let's begin my discussion with Luke Cooper, the creator, writer, and artist of Hollow Girl, here now on Creator Talks. Luke, welcome to Creator Talks. Hello. It's a delight to have you here. And uh, hey, let me ask you something. You're not originally from... Slovakia, but from the UK. You're in Slovakia now, is that correct? That is right, yes. Wow, I mean, how did you wind up choosing to be in Slovakia? Well, uh, I, my wife was an au pair in Britain. Uh, we met, we fell in love, and I realized that one day she would go home to Slovakia, and I decided, well, I didn't want to lose her, so the best thing I could do would learn to be an English teacher and then follow her to Slovakia. I've never been there. What's it like? What do you like about it? Of course, being with your wife is important, but what else? Mm, well, I have to be careful because my, my students get slightly offended when I describe it as a giant village. Because that's how it feels to me. It's all kind of close-knit, uh, but there's beautiful mountains everywhere, uh, old castles, a good sense of history and tradition. So I quite like that about it. Oh, well, I can see why you went there. God, I would love that too. That sounds marvelous. Absolutely marvelous. And speaking of Marvelous, you are here to talk about your book that you write and draw and character you created, Hollow Girl. I'll be honest with you, I was looking, I was, a friend tipped me off about Insane Comics. And he had a, uh, a friend that was a creator, uh, has his books published through them. And I was looking through the catalog and I saw yours. And I was like, whoa, that looks really good. Because I'm into that kind of vigilante, uh, tinge of horror kind of aspect to it. And I, that really kind of drew me in. And um, I was at the Greater Philadelphia Comic Con well, a few weeks ago, and I saw Insane Comics there, and I saw that they had a bunch of books, and of course there was yours. And I was looking, I'm like, yeah, I'll take this one. I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah, I want this one. And, uh, oh, number five is out. I'm like, oh, I'll take that one too. So, uh, yeah, let's um, let's talk a bit about Hollow Girl and how you got started and how you first created that character, like the inspiration for that. Well, it's uh, quite a shallow story, really, because... Um, I'm a fan of the girls and guns sort of subgenre, but it was, as I was drawing it, I started to feel kind of weird about it, that 
it seems to be a dime a dozen, these sort of sexy girls with guns. And I thought it'd be more interesting to actually subvert it, to make it more, make you feel ashamed for liking those sort of books. So I gave her a mask to dehumanize her. I gave her a very dark backstory and made her actually the antagonist. So if you, uh, um, I used to love old slasher movies like uh, Halloween and Friday the 13th and those kind of things. And I quite like the idea of flipping things around. So the big tough guys, they are the victims. And the um, the teenage girl, she's the one who gets the mask and gets to be stalking them for a change. Okay, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I saw that mask and I was like, that does look like Halloween. Uh, and it does add to that real creepy factor to it. Yeah, I, and she is this character. Uh, there's there's two ways to look at this. Is this in her head or is this really happening? And it seems to me like it's really happening. But she is a vessel for other spirits, for other other women, other girls who have been been brutalized. Initially, yes. As the series goes on, you will start to get a few male spirits turn up as well. I mean, there is a slight feminist slant to it, I suppose, that it is about a, an empowered victim almost. But I want it to be very clear that she is completely insane as well. I mean, even if the ghosts are real, the things that she are do- she is doing is they're not good. It's that it's more like um more like the modern approach to the Punisher, where it's okay for him to do this stuff if we accept that there's something very wrong with him for wanting to do them. You're a, a fan of the Punisher. That's one of your, I guess you could say, inspirations for a character like this. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I've been reading the Punisher since the 1985 miniseries. I love it. Also stuff like Judge Dredd as well, where it's a similar kind of thing where Judge Dredd looks very much like a, uh, a fascistic sort of future. But Judge Dredd himself is kind of heroic, even though he is kind of the bad guy in the story as well. And I like that, that ambiguity between good and evil. We admire him, but we're scared of him too. There's a kind of dark quirkiness to the Punisher books, uh especially lately. Yeah, they're, they're, they're something else. Um, I don't follow them closely personally, but yeah, I know what you're talking about, that miniseries. And, and Punisher was really big. It still is big, but it was really big back in the 90s. That was, that was kind of like the uh, sweet spot for the uh, vigilante hero in comics. It also killed him as well, didn't it? Because they did about five books at once, and the artwork was just getting worse and worse, and in the end it sort of imploded. Yeah. No, there's too much, too much Punisher now and not enough quality. I think Chuck Dixon was writing about three of the books at once, bless him. Yeah, there tends to be a problem with some of the larger publishers with overexposure. You know, if, if a little's good, let's do more, you know, and it becomes, it, it does kind of water down the character and the quality does start to sag when you're trying to uh, to really uh, milk that success off of the one book. Um, now, Netflix has, I believe they have a, a Punisher series coming up. They're working on one now. Yes, and uh, it was a very good introduction in Daredevil Season 2, so I'm looking forward to that. Because I like all three movies, but they weren't great. But I liked seeing The Punisher on the big screen. But I think Daredevil Season 2 nailed the character in a way that nothing had before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was probably the best part of Season 2. I enjoyed Season 1 for the Daredevil character itself and Matt Murdock, but Season 2, the standout was The Punisher. And I'm not so much a fan of the Elektra character, but the Punisher character, especially, and I won't give away lots of spoilers if people haven't seen it, and shame if they haven't because it's something they really need to see. There's that yeah. uh, prison fight scene that he does. It is just brutal. It's another one of those hallway fight scenes. And I was like, whoa, this is the fight scene of the season. 
I think for me it was the scene where he was in a, a diner, I think, and there was a shootout which led to him beating someone with um, the side of the gun. And I was watching it thinking, that guy's face is actually changing shape as he hits him. It's the most brutal thing I've ever seen in a TV show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I do remember that scene too. Yeah. Wow. It was really good. I'm looking forward to it. I think it, uh, it'll they'll do justice to it. They definitely... Uh, John Bermenthal, I think is the actor's name. They definitely nailed the right actor for that. I mean, they, they picked the right person. Oh, yeah, he was great. Spot on. So, now, you've been doing Hollow Girl. When did you? When was it first published? Because you're up to issue five now. Yeah, it's been going for a year or so. I mean, that's the problem with independent publishing, that you tend to get long gaps. To be honest, there was a gap after issue four because we were promoting the book, uh, the first trade paperback. And we're also trying to do some other stuff, uh, try to get other distributors involved. Uh, so that all took time, but it gave me a chance to get very far ahead. So I'm actually drawing issue nine right now. So the publishers are a few issues behind me. Oh, very good. And, and you know, no worries with like the gap with the fourth issue and the fifth, because that seems to be pretty much the model nowadays. If you look at someone like uh, a publisher like Image, they certainly do that with a lot of their series where they're going to do the first arc out the trade so that way the, the team gets a bit of a break or they can get ahead and then they'll do the next arc and that seems to work just fine when you have a good solid following people don't mind that break because they're they're expecting it and now it's become kind of expected for more of the independent publishers not so much the big two if there's any kind of break oh my gosh you know the wheels come off the the big uh, crossovers are all out of line but for something like this it's not an issue if the big two did occasionally break because I, I kind of hate it when you're halfway through a series and so that if they don't fall behind schedule they're bringing some inferior artist just to fill in the gap I and mean, I always hate that I'd rather they just I'd rather wait and have six issues drawn by the same artist so I agree a hundred percent I'd much rather I mean a book like uh, Silver Surfer and you have Dan Slott writing it and you have Mike and Laura Aldred. There have been delays, but they're like, no, we're not going to have anybody else draw this book. And I'm sure fans would be really upset if they did because the, that is very distinct about that particular title, the uh, Allred artwork. So that one has had delays. And you know, some people grumble about it on the internet, but really, I mean, you don't want to lose that cadence and tone that you have with that creative team. Because um, in the long run, when you have your trade come out, you've got one solid, uh, seamless book that doesn't jar you with a different fill-in artist. Because it used to be very common, especially back in the 70s, to just to kind of get somebody in there to get the book out on time. And uh, I'd much rather wait. Uh, I mean, some series like Manifest Destiny with Image, same team all the way through, and they take that break. It Maybe it's something that the big two should look at and, you know, People, I mean, there's plenty of product out there. You're not going to lose them if you take a little break. Um, I think it's probably the direction that a lot of companies are going to go eventually. I agree, especially since trade paperback seems to be uh, a preferred method of reading these stories for a lot of people anyway. Yeah, for Hollow Girl, it really works out well to read all the issues together like that, although it's very solid as just a single issue. And your first trade... Um, you've covered not just the first four issues, but any other stories, even short stories that you you wrote about Hologrove, they're all here in the first trade. Yeah, um, well, that was um, uh, when the book was originally commissioned, which was three years before Insane Comics uh, got it. Uh, it was commissioned by another company, and it was all commissioned on the back of a five-page story I did, which was supposed to be a one-off. 
because there was nothing to it. It was just girl with mask kills lots of people, and then at the end you get the reveal that oh, a ghost made her do it, and that was it. That was the whole story. But then I was commissioned to write a 52-page sort of short graphic novel, which is what issue one ended up becoming. Which is why issue one sort of looks like a graphic novel, but with a, but a floppy back version of one. And um, I got interested in seeing what else was happening to the character around that time. So I did two more short stories just to kind of cement that idea that she'd been working for a long time. And uh, I am no one. The first issue is not the first time she's done this. There should be sort of a career behind her. So if you buy the trade, you'll see that. And also um, for free comic book day, we done um, we did a. Uh, a collection of the short stories because one of the characters in what in those stories is going to become very very important in a later issue and it was sort of a throwaway but then I decided actually I like this character and I quite want to bring her back um, I, I don't want to give too much away because I'm sort of building her up very slowly starting with issue six onwards but yeah, I, I love those short stories, especially um, One More Family Secret I really like. Now, when did you start to see a build in readership? When did you start to notice that this was starting to catch on? Oh, because I, I'm so far away from the action. So I just kind of blindly send out comics. But then we get photos back from comic cons. And that's where it really seems to take off, comic the comic cons. And I think because the character is so kind of eye-catching and iconic, inside is... Uh, kind of this, kind of similar to the covers, so they don't feel cheated. I think with a lot of indie comics, you do get like great covers, and you open it up, and the art inside is not to the same standard. Hollow Girl doesn't do that. I do agree that yeah, a lot of the indie books they do a wonderful job on the cover, and then you open it up and you're disappointed. But this is um, what's on the outside, what's on the inside, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it is so successful. Is people are like, oh, okay. I'm getting what's on the cover. I'm not just getting a beautiful cover and then, you know, some, some subpar art on the inside. But, yeah, I guess, I guess the best way is, through cons, to for, especially for an indie book, to really get things, you know, off the ground. And um, how has uh, social media been for you as far as um, helping to spread the word of Hollow Girl and getting an audience built? Um, is that, has that helped particularly well in addition to the cons? Well, again, it's hard to tell, really. Uh, I'm, I'm always sharing stuff every week I'll, I'll share something and but I don't get lots of feedback to be honest uh, even even though we're like five issues in I still have not really heard a lot of opinions back from people it, we know it's it's successful because people are buying it but we don't really know if they, they don't seem to be very vocal I wonder if I attract a particular kind of reader because it is quite a bleak book and it is about a character who's very sort of inwardly focused, very introvert. So I wonder if those are the kind of people that seem to like it as well. But yeah, we try our best to share stuff. Uh, Insane Comics will share posts. And I'm, I'm doing it about once a week, getting it out there onto all the groups. But yeah, I don't get lots and lots of likes or lots of comments. But we get about 2,000 views. So I don't really know. I feel very disconnected here in Slovakia. Just all this stuff is happening. All I do is draw the comic and send it off and keep my fingers crossed. Well, it takes time to build the audience, uh, and it's only been a year. But this isn't your first work, though. I mean, I haven't had a chance to read your other work, Good Cop, Bad Cop, and that was published through Rough Cut Comics. 
Yeah, that was Scottish. That was uh, by a brilliant Scottish writer called Jim Alexander. And uh, we did a few things together. Uh, I still do front covers for one of his comics. He does a series called Wolf Country, which is a, a very, very cool take on the werewolf versus vampire thing. But he's created a, a whole world for his characters to inhabit. And what I find amusing is I, I did the first issue. I only did the art for the first issue because I was doing good cop, bad cop at the same time. And I was getting burnt out trying to do two comics at once. But the artist who came in still uses my designs, and my designs are based on me. So he's actually drawing my face as one of the main characters. Yeah, that's that's one I definitely want to check out. I saw that. That's another one that, along the lines of uh, Hollow Girl type art, and the artwork is fairly um, minimalist, clean, clean lines. And in Hollow Girl, there's not like a whole lot of background, but. I didn't even really notice that until I looked at it again with a very critical eye. And speaking of eyes, the one thing that like really draws me in in this book are the eyes. I mean, they are haunting on all the characters. Very intense. I really like that. That's great. Well, the Scottish writer once told me I draw everyone with panda eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I blame the Punisher because it was a... Uh, I think his name is Wills Portasio. He did some great Punisher issues uh, back in the 80s. And that's how he draw the Punisher. If things were getting serious, there'd be no eyes, just black where the eyes should be. And I got really obsessed with drawing that. But it does look like my, none of my characters seem to get a lot of sleep. They all have big bags under their eyes. <laughs> oh, the Portasio issues are some of my favorites, actually, the Punisher. I know that uh, one point, a really hot one was uh, the Punisher fighting Daredevil on the cover. Uh, you know, one's got a knife. It's, it's, yeah, he was fantastic. He still is fantastic. Um, those are some of my favorite issues. Another influence of yours, I guess, in terms of the art style and that you like is uh, Mike Bignola? Yeah, the minimalist uh, style definitely comes from Mignola. And um, a lot of my favorite artists seem to be people that can do a lot with very little. So I like uh, Steve Dillon. Um, well, rest in peace. Uh, but Steve Dillon was one of my favorites as well. Um, Marcelo, Fru is it Fruzin? I'm not good with the names, but he drew uh, some really good Hellblazer issues. And he's very similar to Mike Mignola. It's all, it's all shadow, lots of black, lots of contrast. And I, I like that kind of stuff. And with Hollow Girl, especially because of the white mask, I wanted a lot of it to be just shadow and just like seeing the white mask emerging from the darkness quite a lot. So it was very intentionally, especially very, very black and very white. Oh, it works really well because it's you know, black and white and gray tones. So the it really works with the more uh, cleaner artwork. Um, and it, yeah, again, like it, it's it's a black and white book, and I I do read quite a few black and white comics now, and I don't think that's um, in any way uh, a detriment to the book. It's not meant to be, um, but you know, a lot of books are published in color, and people go, oh, it's black and white, but uh, they're really missing out on something if they're not checking out these these great issues that are done in black and white because you can really it really lends itself to the artwork too as far as you, know, you can see that the line work the clean line work and how effective it is in just a black and white book and of course color books are great but this for especially this kind of story you know a dark story like this you have to have it this way really for it to work as well as it does and it really also helps with the panda eyes um <laughs> they really stand out too I, I wouldn't know how to color it um when i first was working on it um the, the original publisher, all those years ago, he was saying, well, I've got a colorist. We could color it for you. And he showed me some stuff. I'm like, no, no, it's not supposed to be in color. 
and I can't see it in color at all. I, I, I've done stuff in color before, but I just don't think Hollow Girl would work drawn that way. It really is important that it's just so black. I, I find that quite an important part of it. Yeah, I can't imagine it being in color. And the closest I get to it is when I do the front covers. But even then, it's really just one color to catch the eye and then just a black figure stood at the front. Yes, very effective. Uh, how do you get yourself ready to write each issue? Like, how do you get in the right mindset and in the groove to get those words flowing on the page? Oh, good question. Uh, music helps. A good horror movie soundtrack. Um, or I, I do like some of the nastier heavy metal as well. That seems to help. But really, it's it never goes smoothly the first time with Hollow Girl because I write the script like you'd write any script. And then when I go for it a second time, I realize I have to take out half of her dialogue because it works much better if she speaks very little. So it's really like first you write everything and then you delete half of what you've written and try to show things rather than tell. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess music, uh, watching the right kind of movies tends to help. If you know you're going to do stuff with a lot of action, watching a good John Woo movie usually puts me in the right frame of mind. And how can people get the book? I mean, it's available through Insane Comics, and I'm pretty sure it's available in Comicology as well, if you wanted to see it digitally. For your, your distribution right now, it's going through Insane Comics. Are there, are there other channels that it's available? I think it's available in certain comic stores. It, the best thing to do is to check the Insane Comics website, because they have a, a list of the comic shops it's available from, a list of the comic cons they'll be attending. And actually, I've used the Insane website to buy a lot of uh, digital downloads, and no problems at all. It's a really good service there. And uh, I've even had some books sent here as well in Slovakia, and they've always turned out fine. So I actually would recommend you buy stuff directly from Insane Comics. They're very good. Uh, Comicsology is they're good too, but I, I've never actually used them really, so I, I can't vouch for it. But yeah, we're available on Comicsology. We used to be on Drive Through Comics. There might still be some stuff on there as well. But I'm not sure if we use them so much. I don't think it was very cost effective using them. Yeah, I hope people do uh, check this out uh, because uh, it, it used to be, and at least I was this way when I was younger growing up, that I was basically a Marvel zombie, and I read all Marvel stuff. And some people are very passionate about their Marvel or their DC, uh, and you'd be missing something if you didn't look at all the, the great books that are out there. You could really overlook a gem like this one. And I think for consumers overall, there's less of a sense of brand loyalty to any one product or service, or even a publisher nowadays. You don't see that as much. Because, uh, again, you might miss out on something great. I think, you know, other than following certain characters that people are really passionate about, they also tend to be following more now the creator, wherever they go. You know, whether they're working at Marvel and they go to uh, do something published through Image, it, you know, they're, they're following creators more than just a particular character, which is good for the independent books, because hopefully more people will take note of them and spend some of their their comic book budget, and I chuckle when I say that because I really don't have a budget. I just buy them <laughs> and pay, pay the price later. Uh, but it's something they should check out and, and not just be so locked into what they've always bought month after month. You know, just kind of open up some of that budget so they can check out some of these other great books like Hollow Girl and not miss out on something. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, thank you. But, and I totally agree with you. I mean, 
It seems to be movies that are dividing people. Marvel versus DC seems to have gone into the movie world more. But I find that kind of ridiculous because I've never been think I've never met anyone who said, "Well, I only watch movies by 20th Century Fox. So I won't watch anything by Warner Brothers." That's just ridiculous to have that kind of thinking. It's so limiting. And yeah, indie comics, um, yeah, they're worth digging through to have a look what's out there because you do find some really amazing stuff uh, from a lot of creators who may well be like the big guys in 10 years' time, but it's worth seeing what they, them when they're still fresh and when they're not dragged down into the usual quagmire of regurgitating the same old stories. This is, I think, in indie comics where people aren't really aware that there are supposed to be rules to the way you write comics, you get some really interesting stuff where people are experimenting more. That's true. I mean, um, with some of the intellectual properties at the big two, that and even ones that are licensed, you're kind of locked in with what you can do. Uh, it's it's really a tribute to the writers who can do something fresh with some of these long-standing characters. For example, one I'll cite is Mark Wade, who did wonderful work on Daredevil with Chris Somney. You think that you've told all the stories you can tell, and he finds a way to make it fresh again, and that's quite the challenge. And but you are kind of restricted now with the independent books; those that are creator-owned, anything can happen. Everyone is expendable. A character could die. And if you read Hollow Girl, you know, doors are wide open. Anything can happen. So it's not like, oh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not worried because in the end, this book will be back next month and that character's going to be fine because they have to be there. Um, not necessarily in the indie books. Uh, so there's a lot more, I think, excitement about the story because I just have no idea what's going to happen to the characters because none of them have to stay. And you don't have to play the old, well, they're dead, but they'll come back later because they're not going to kill off that character because that happens with the big two. No one stays dead. Well, very few stay dead. A few have, but uh, like Superman, the death of Superman back in the 90s, oh, my gosh, it was all over the news. It was a big thing. And right there I thought, no, he's going to be back. It's, it's, it's good to see the story. I want to see the story, but never for a moment did I feel that I was losing a character. And in the indie books, you certainly can. You might even change who the central character is. You never know. And that's part of the excitement of it. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's pretty much where Hollow Girl is headed, that there's going to be lots and lots of horrible things that happen, and it's completely unpredictable. I mean, even in the first trade paperback, you'll see main characters are set up and sort of disposed of very quickly. It's like a revolving door on the supporting cast. But, yeah, you're quite right. Yeah, I think that's a good thing. Actually, I think the Punisher died about three times, and he's not even like that um, an outlandish a character. But even he's up. You've had Franking Castle and Purgatory, and then he got killed off in Max. So even a character who's supposed to be a normal guy still gets killed off and brought back to life every couple of years. Yeah, it's not very interesting. No, because you know it's not going to last. And I think there's a collective fan eye roll when they see the death of a character. The universe will never be the same. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, it just just don't go there. You, know, you don't have to do that with these long-standing characters. Or if you're going to do it, mean it. And let them stay dead. Like Captain Marvel is, from Marvel, is still dead. He's been dead for decades. Uh, and it's a testament to them for doing that and leaving it that way. Now, we talked about cons for a bit. Do you get a chance to schedule some cons into your busy schedule with teaching and writing and family? Do you get a chance to, to get out there and promote the book in person yourself? Not these days. When I first started, I did a few comic cons. Um, 
I worked for a magazine called Murky Depths, and I did a, a little horror story for them uh, called A Glimpse of Hell. And I did go to a few cons, and they're fun. I like meeting people. I like doing those things. And it's always kind of scary to be an indie creator because people are looking at you like, you know, you've succeeded, you've you've made it. And you're like, no, I'm, just, I'm exactly the same as you. It's just that in my spare time, I draw comics. That's the only difference. There's no badge of honor. It's just, you know, if you've got the passion, you do it. So I quite like that side of things. But really, no. I went to a con as a as a visitor recently, which was great because I got to meet uh, John Wagner, who is the creator of Judge Dredd. So I'm glad I went to that. But no, as actually as a as an artist or as a as a manning one of the tables, I haven't been able to do one for many years. Yeah, it's difficult because you have to make the time. It does take away from your work time, and for some of the the more well-known artists and writers it's got to be hard for them too because they're on a very tight schedule and they're out there meeting fans so they have to find a way to get that work done after the con at night whatever it takes but and it's also for the for the up-and-coming artists and writers and independent ones that are not backed by a big company you got to take that money out of your pocket to go um like when i go to cons to meet creators chat with them interview i take the money out of my pocket i'm a fan so i just pay my way and go but it's hard because with a family, I got to balance budget, time, what I'm allowed to do. <laughs> I have to get permission to go. <laughs> uh, and I want to ask you how they do this. How do you manage to balance your time with teaching and also trying to do this? How do you, how do you find that space in your day, in your week, to get the writing done? It's interesting because my wife and I are both very, very in- individual. We're, we're both like quite introverted. So... We're together a lot of the time, but we're quite happy to spend time apart. So I've got my little man cave in the basement, which is where I am now. With uh, It's full of musical instruments and comics and computers and stuff. Fortunately, I don't have any children yet. Who knows what's going to happen when I have children? Maybe I'll have no time at all. But at the moment, yeah, I've got my own little space. And actually, um, I get the my students involved in it to a degree because I use a lot of photography in my work. So sometimes I've... I've had students um, model as characters and appearing in the comics. Um, we have great fun doing that. I get to pretend to be a director. They get to pretend to be actors. So, um, yes, yeah, uh, I do a drama club at school. So we sort of bring uh, some of the comic work into that as well. So um, I guess I guess the answer is cheating. So <laughs> I use the teaching to help with the comic stuff. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, that's that's perfect. That's what you need to do is find a way to have your work kind of fit in with your passion to it, and, and then your work can become your passion. Now, that's great. You mentioned you have musical instruments in your man cave. Do you play musical instruments yourself? Does, uh, are you also a musician on the side? I'm a bad musician on the side. <laughs> I'm not exactly a renaissance man. I, I would love to be, but I kind of do lots of different things, but I'm quite average at all of them. So I'm I'm okay at writing. I'm okay at drawing. I can play a little bit of guitar. So I've got a bass guitar, electric, a nice 12-string acoustic. And sometimes I just do my own music uh, when I've got a bit of time. But because I'm deep into hollow girl at the moment, I don't really have a lot of time for music. Maybe over the summer break, I'll be able to get the guitars out again. It's a creative outlet. You know, for creative types, they're into many different things, and that's that's great that you also dabble a bit with uh, music as well. We talked about movies briefly, about how people aren't loyal to one particular 
a studio. Um, there's a lot of big summer movies coming out. Are there any summer movies that are on your must-see list? I don't get a chance to go to the cinema very much uh, because I'm in Slovakia. Uh, they do show movies in English uh, with Slovak subtitles, but it's not so easy for me to go on my own. So I, I, um, I've got my wife to agree that we're going to go and see Stephen King's It when it comes out. That's the film. I nailed her down on that. And we are definitely seeing this movie. That's for big summer blockbusters. No, there's nothing really on my radar at the moment. I mean, there are quite a few good superhero movies coming out, but um, maybe I'm a little bit burnt out with that stuff. I'd still enjoy them, but not in the way I used to. I don't get so excited anymore. I think Civil War was the last superhero movie that really uh, got the juices flowing and made me, nailed me down to the seat in the cinema. Yeah, I did see that one too. That was a great film. It For me, it is a bit of a challenge. I can't, I, I don't review films um i'm not a, a, a review writer per se and uh and part of it is i just don't have the flexibility in my schedule and we talked about how do you make time to write and when you do have a family when you get to that point well you just become like really super efficient and a super planner to get things done <laughs> and uh, i mean I, i'll see guardians it's out this weekend as we're recording this i won't see it for another week um and i have to put myself kind of in a a uh, internet blackout from any kind of spoilers because I just can't do things that day it comes out. I don't have that kind of schedule. I have to arrange things to get out and see them. And I don't get out to the cinema that much either myself. And even though there's plenty of theaters around me and everything's in English, uh, I just I just don't have the time. So for me, I usually catch a lot of things on the back end, either through Netflix, Amazon, through rentals. I just, you know, a lot of it, I just cannot find the time. Uh, and there's too many other things I have to do. It's hard to find the time. Yeah, and I don't know if the theatre experience is as exciting for me as it was when I was younger. I think when you're young, it's a really like a big deal. And I think it's great when you have children and you start taking them to the theatre. That's great. But when when you're older, it's well, I've got a big TV, I've got beer. <laughs> right. I don't have to leave the house to watch a great movie anymore. That's true. Uh, yeah, I went to take my son to the Batman Lego movie. And if I'm going to take him to a kid's movie, that one I'm okay taking him to. Because he does like comics, too. Uh, shockingly. Uh, can you imagine ha- that happening with my kid being into comics? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. And I didn't mind seeing that. But I, in, in some ways, I do enjoy going to the theater more now than I did just a few years ago. Because in our area, and there's more and more of these popping up, they have better seating where you can either, one, reserve your seat in some cases, which is great, so you're not, like, right in the front row craning your neck up. They have uh, reclining seats with little uh, tables that swing around, and you can go to a bar out in the lobby, buy a drink, and take it in. So that makes it a really fun experience. But it can also be <laughs> a bit of a detriment, because if you have too much, you might fall asleep during the movie. Because <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I had a... I had a nice beer at a film. I was seeing Rogue One, and uh, I don't want people to think I'm an alcoholic, but I had a beer, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have a beer. So I went back for a second one during the middle of the movie, and I didn't think about the fact that it wasn't your regular bottle of beer. It was in a cup, which was probably like 24 ounces, mm-hmm. you know, and I had some like high IPA, and next thing I know, I'm waking up, and there's a huge fight scene going on, and I'm like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's some pretty strong beer if I if I kind of nodded off during Rogue One um, it was a great film but you gotta just gotta be careful but that does make the experience 
better now going to films is that they make it a much more of a night out where you can you can grab a drink. They do limit you usually. Like you can get like three, which I think is a lot, especially for a two-hour movie. Uh, but it does make it special. But I agree with you. It is nice to be in your own house, your own TV. You know, get a drink. You can stop, pause. Whereas in the movie theater, you got to run out, run back, and you might miss something. You know, and unless you're seeing it for the second or third time. Well, what you were saying about drinking in the theater. Um, when I was younger, and and I did uh, drink more. Um, my friends and I went to a, this uh, great theater uh, in a really small little seaside town in Britain, and. Uh, they had a little bar in the cinema, and we'd been drinking beforehand at lunchtime, and then we had a few drinks in there. And I have to admit something that it's a hard confession, but it was called it was lost in space. And because I'd had a few drinks, I really enjoyed it. And that's a terrible <laughs> thing to admit. It's an awful confession, but yeah, when you're slightly drunk, Lost in Space is a great movie. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I wonder, you know, how much does it taint my view of a film if I'm a little more relaxed? Like, uh, well, <laughs> I think I've said enough about drinking in films because there's some films I'm like, I don't remember a whole lot about it. <laughs> Sometimes I go by myself to the theater because I really want to see something. And as I said, it's hard to find the time. And uh, you had mentioned Civil War. I think it was Civil War. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't Civil War. I saw the second Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron with my wife and I said uh, I just see Mad Max is out that looks really good she goes ah, I, well we went to the theater tonight I don't, I don't want to go see another movie I said okay well I'm going tomorrow to see Mad Max so um, if you don't mind I'm just going to go for an afternoon matinee she goes alright and I, I had a great time that was a great film and, and that's not saying with alcohol I, mean, I, just, I just had a good time watching that film because I went right back the next day and I was like oof uh I was never a Mad Max fan, didn't like follow all the other movies, but when this one, you know, uh, came out, it was just nonstop action all the way through, and I'd watch it again. I don't know if you had a chance to see that. A really good film. I really enjoyed that one. It's one of those films where it's mainly, the stunt work is mainly practical, isn't it? So it felt very real when you're watching it. Yeah, no, that that's a very good point. Yeah, I did not feel there was too much CGI or anything like that. It was really, the stunt work was very real and grounded. So that's, I think that lent a part of the excitement, why I enjoyed it so much. And this is the part of the show where I like to ask my guests, and we're already, we're already kind of there, but what do you like to do for peace and relaxation? How do you get away from it all and just unwind? Mm, I don't think I do. Uh, I think because uh, my, my days are so packed, I think drawing is kind of what I do to relax. It is the way I decompress. But I have been going through a phase of playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto 3 because I'm old. So I've got a PlayStation 2 and I still sometimes blow the dust off it and play a game. So Grand Theft Auto 3 has been the way I've been sort of relaxing the last week or so. This is the island book question. You're stuck on an island. There's no power. You don't have a tablet or a phone. They're all dead. What's the one book, and it can be a set of books if they're the same part of the same set volume, that you would want to have with you on that desert island? I kind of already have one. Every holiday I've ever been on, I've always read um, the Stephen King, Peter Straw book, The Talisman. And it seems to have, it went with me to Thailand, it went with me when I first came here. It's just one of those books I always travel with. So I think that would be the book. I could read that over and over again with no problems. And that is something that you do go back and read repeatedly, like once a year. I know some people have those books that they, whether it be a, a novel, 
prose a comic, they'll read it like every year, or they'll see a film. They'll watch the same film every year at the same time. Is that something that you do occasionally? Uh, yeah, I read my books for distraction. Definitely, I'm not. The, I don't think of literature as disposable. It's the same thing with movies. Um, if if I love a movie, I'll watch it over and over. When I was younger, I think uh, The Crow worried my mum because I watched The Crow every day for about two weeks. <laughs> And Taxi Driver, when I was a bit older, I was mildly obsessed with Taxi Driver for a while. Aren't they working on a new Crow movie? Isn't that something that's in the works? They're always working on a new Crow movie. <laughs> that's been in the work for about a decade, hasn't it? And they've, had, they've got through about 200 directors. I'm not sure what's happening with it. Yeah, yeah, that's been off and on. Um, maybe, Hopefully someday this will all come together. The environment seems right for it, for those kind of action hero that everything that's out there now should be a very conducive environment to finally getting that off the ground yeah but the thing they always miss with the crow is and because look i sometimes wonder what it would be like if hollow girl was made into a movie and i always try to think of what kind of director i'd get to do it and my feeling is i'd get a horror movie director to make it and i think the crow kind of works in the same way that you if you want to make it have the right atmosphere, you don't get an action movie director, you get a horror movie director to do it, to make sure that the, the dark supernatural elements look right. Because uh, action, I think if you, you can just get like a great stunt team or and you can augment the action, which is kind of how uh, the Marvel Comics movies are made, aren't they? It's, they tend to get indie directors and then get a really great action team in to help them out with that side of it and just uh, let the directors concentrate on the dramatic side of it. Yeah, it's worked well for them. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if they ever did a Hollow Girl film, if that ever happens for you and someone's like, we want to make a film about it, uh, casting the main character, I, the first thing that came to my mind was Aubrey Plaza. You've seen her in uh, Legion on FX. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be interesting. I could see her in that part. I think she'd do really well in that part. I could never think of an actress to play Hollow Girl, though. I, I do. I look at actresses who were younger who would have done it. Now I wonder, um, do you remember there was a little girl in Silent Hill and she's always playing horror characters and I kind of wonder what she looks like now, grown up, because she's got kind of the long dark hair and she's very good at playing horror characters but she looks kind of cute. Jodel Furland, a version of her playing Hollow Girl. Think of Marcus Nispel, the guy who did the Friday the 13th remake and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I know he's not made the greatest movies but there's something about the way the movies look that i really like they managed to be very dark and very glossy at the same time which i think is a really nice look well it'd be nice to see someday if that ever comes to light it's a little scary because you never know if you're going to get what you want because you do relinquish some control when someone you know buys a property get license it and then they go and make it into a film it might be something that'd be really cool it's like an indie film versus you know a big studio because that way you have at least a little more control over the final product yeah, and I think I don't think it needs to be a big movie anyway. It's um, it's not the kind of movie that would need loads of special effects. I think if you put lots of CG into it, it would be it look terrible. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. My final question is, and we did touch on this a bit. What is your beverage of choice? Well, I'm British, so tea with milk and sugar is a, a frequent thing I drink. Uh, Alcohol-wise, I don't really drink a lot of alcohol these days. Um, they do have some nice beers here, though. I do like a good beer. Uh, so I guess that would, yeah, tea and beer. Not at the same time. Not at the same time, no. <laughs> yes, my beverage of choice right now is a coffee in the morning. Um, Half-calf, so I'm not too hyper. 
And then in the evening, usually I, I pick a nice beer. I, I prefer quality over quantity. I like a nice uh, craft microbrew because um, there's plenty around here. And if not that, then a nice glass of red wine is something that my wife and I enjoy. And as I've told my listeners numerous times, and they know this about me, we usually go for the box wine. We like to be a little thrifty, so we, we get more for our buck that way, and it's very convenient. Over here, you can go to places where they, they have wine on tap, like a pub, and you just go there with a plastic bottle and they fill it up for you. Oh, my gosh. I have to go there. <laughs> red wine is dangerous for me. If I drink red wine, I start to think I'm really funny. I don't know what it is about red wine, but if I've got red wine and social media, it's a bad combination because I start thinking Oscar Wilde and stuff. <laughs> Every comment I write is genius. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I get hilarious when I start uh, having too much red wine. And I, I tell my wife, I said, just keep drinking. I get funnier. <laughs> At least you'll think I'm funnier. <laughs> oh, I hear you. Luke, man, it's been really, it's been a delight talking to you this morning and, uh, or this afternoon, depending on where you are and, <laughs> and when and where you are. And uh, once again, tell me how fans can get the book and how they can reach out to you if they have any comments or questions. I want to give you some feedback and let you know, hey, they love this book. Insanecomics.com has everything you need if you want to buy the book. Um, and they've got various different ways of doing that, including directing you towards uh, comic shops and things that might be in your area. Uh, to get in contact with me, well, I, I have a Facebook page, but I also have an art page. Uh, it's got a really pretentious name. Uh, what did I call it? Oh, yeah, The Admittedly Disturbing Comic Art of Luke Cooper. But you can find it as um, facebook.com slash hologirl78, I think it is. So that's probably an easier way of finding it. And yeah, give me feedback, and I'll be very grateful. And there's lots and lots of artwork on there for you to pour over. All right, Luke, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you being a guest on the show, and I look forward to reading more Hollow Girl. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And that is my interview with Luke Cooper, the creator of Hollow Girl, writer and artist. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. Check out the Insane Comics website. There's so many books out there we talked about that are not part of the big two, and it's really worth seeing what other writers and artists are working on and their own creations because all this stuff came from a creator. The books from Marvel, the books from DC, that inspiration, that creation came from them. And eventually it became an intellectual property that we all know and love today, like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Hulk, etc. It goes on and on, but that did come from the mind of a creator, so give the others a chance as well. Make a little part in your budget for that. Don't limit yourself to just the same books and the same characters. And a great way to do that is through Free Comic Book Day. As I record this, it's Free Comic Book Day weekend. So it'll be the week after when you hear this, but I had a great time at Free Comic Book Day at my local comic book shop, The Comic Book Shop. And they had several creators there, meeting guests that came in to buy free comics. I bought plenty of books from the creators that were there in addition to picking up my free comics. Uh, former guest Kurt Bruegel was there with all of his Crom the Barbarian books. A huge fan and advocate for Garner F. Fox. And also I saw former guest Erica Schultz. She is working on the series Charmed for Dynamite Comics. And she also did the series M3. And I picked up her trade paperback Motives, which is the uh, second part of that particular miniseries. And I wanted to get a hard copy, and now I have it. So you should check out Free Comic Book Day and always talk to the creators, too. And I met some at the particular event that I was at that will be on the show later this year to talk about their books. So 
who, when, follow me at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod for who's coming up on the show. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. <laughs>